Hey, everybody. Welcome to Roger and me, a.k.a. Roger Ebert and me, a Siskel and Ebert movie review podcast, a tribute to Siskel and Ebert, and an attempt to continue what they started and review every movie that comes out in theaters every Friday. They didn't have to deal with the scourge of streaming like we do. So we also have those to, to review. Uh, oftentimes in the double digits we get into with the amount of movies we cover. Today, a very reasonable eight that could have been 11. But we are saving three from this week for next week for various reasons that we will explain. Or maybe we won't. I don't even care. Uh, my co-host is Mark Dusick of MarkReviewsMovies.com. He's been reviewing movies. Uh, I was going to say in print which is like, in my mind, technically correct. You're writing words down. It's in print, but it's online. It's been uh, writing online since 2001. MarkReviewsMovies.com. I'm a longtime reader and a fan, and now I get to host this show with Mark. And who am I? My name is Brett Arnold. I am a film critic by my own uh, right. I just decided that I am. I have a podcast. They let me into the screenings for whatever reason. I'm doing it. I'm living the dream making no money doing it, doing it for the love of the game, ruining all my relationships because I go to all the screenings instead of uh, socialize. Uh, great choices Mark and I have made, and we're here to entertain you. And this week, as I said, eight movies. The three that I mentioned that are out, maybe, if you live in a cool place, but aren't really out until next week. Bottoms, a new comedy that I think is awesome. And uh, I'm excited to talk with talk with Mark about, but we can't talk about it yet. Bottoms comes out in I think ten theaters this today. Uh, I believe there's one in New York. Is there one in Chicago, or did it get pulled? No. Oh no, no. That's we're not covering it. Yeah, it had this weird thing that we don't have to harp on too much, but it was supposed to come out August 25th. I think it was always supposed to be limited, but not as limited as it ended up being, and now it's very limited. I think preview screenings were canceled. A lot of confusing stuff is going on. So Bottoms, you may have thought it was opening near you this week, and it might not be. It might be opening next week where it's going. I don't know how wide it's going, but I think it's going wider to the point where we should cover it next week. And we're covering something called Before Now and Then, which doesn't. I don't know if it's out this weekend or if it just fully is out next week. And then there's a third movie called Perpetrator. That is playing, I believe, at one theater in the country, and it's actually in Chicago, uh, the Music Box Theater down there on, I believe, on Southport Street. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. See, I know my Music Box. I've been yeah. to the Music Box of Horrors 24-hour film festival in those very comfortable chairs. I've spent a lot of time in there. Uh, you could see Perpetrator, a Jennifer Reader horror film, at Music Box Theaters this weekend. Or you can wait to see it on Shutter. I'll just say, Mark and I have seen it, and our professional advice might be to wait until Shutter. But we're going to tease you. We're not going to give you the review until next week because, Mark, there are still eight movies that are properly out this week, and we may as well get right into it. Unless you're chomping at the bit to get to get something out. What do you got? I got nothing. I'm I'm excited. It's yeah. I'm excited. I'd be more excited it. if we could cover bottoms, but whatever. That's that's a that's a thing. Yeah, a thing I would love going to. On. I've seen it. I'm ready to cover it. I'm, I want to be, you know, 
the water cooler conversation this weekend is going to be about bottoms. Everyone, all the critics are going to file their reviews. It's not really, it's really uncool that it's not playing in Chicago and critics are having a hard time seeing it there. So in solidarity, we will cover it next week, but uh, uh, Oh, something I should mention uh, that we are not covering this week because we covered it two weeks ago. Oh yeah. It's finally, finally a movie that it has not been out for the past two weeks, despite the facts that despite the fact that you could have seen it several times over the past two weeks at several different preview screenings. And even before that, those two weeks, there was a preview screening, I believe. Uh, Gran Turismo, a Sony film, a PlayStation film, is out now in theaters nationwide. The latest film from District 9's Neil Blomkamp uh, did a great interview with Mike Ryan. Check it out. Very nice guy. Um, <laughs> I don't know, know if Mark read that interview, but uh, maybe you should. It's pretty funny. Um, oh, should I? Oh, okay. I yeah, want to check it out. It's okay. interesting. Uh, it takes a turn. Um, and so are we. We're taking a turn right into the eight movies of the week that we're covering before, actually, before we roll right in to a Liam Neeson joint called Retribution that is out in August and not the usual January slot. Does it earn that slot? We'll talk about it. Before we get into that, I want to mention, please give us reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And no, I don't mean the guy who gave us two stars this week because I say like too much or something. Uh, It's in my head now, guy. I will think about that. It will improve future episodes. So thank you for your mean review. But I'm talking to the silent majority here. The people who love the podcast, who don't talk about it publicly, who just listen. I know you're there. I have the numbers. It seems only people who hate the show want to support, want to throw the review out lately. Uh, so I wanted to give a nice little call for all the fans, for all the the Raj heads to go out there and give us a, a nice five-star review. Write something on Apple Podcasts. Give it a five-star plug on Spotify if you're there, which we have sparkling five-star only reviews over on spotify uh apple Podcasts. we need some work thank you let's get right into it finally liam neeson in retribution are you gonna answer that it's not mine hello Matt. sorry who is this there is a bomb under your seat if you Did I do something to you? You sound so guilty. What do you want? Drive to this location. Honey, something's happened. There's a man who has put a bomb in the car. Under our seats, there are pressure triggers. We can't get out. The car will explode. Classic case of bomb under the seat. Can't get out of the car. It's going to explode. Yes, that was Jack Champion, a.k.a. Spider from Avatar The Way of Water in the back seat. He's also in Scream 6. Uh, Besides that, the only person I recognize in this movie. Oh, that's not true. I was going to say Liam Neeson, but Matthew Modine shows up. Star-studded cast. What went wrong, Mark, with Retribution? A movie that, I'm going to go ahead and say it, would have fit right in in January. Yeah, would have been a good January, February release. Um, I guess, I guess last week of August is a good place for it too. Whatever. Yeah, that's become like I get. I didn't realize. I guess I forget that it also is a dumping ground for a lot of stuff. stuff yeah, that comes out. Sometimes, 
sometimes, at least in the past, August at the dumping ground of August has had a couple of surprises where it's like, oh, why did you, why did you hold that off until August? That could have been a, a decent, uh, a decent movie to release that could have gotten some word of mouth attention. Instead, you throw right. it here. This is not one of those. This is somehow. I believe the fourth version of this material. This is huh. what happens when you do this research. You see in the credits based on the movie, this, and then you start yes. going into the rabbit hole of, Oh, that movie came out in Spain. And then there was an unofficial South Korean remake. And then there was a German remake. And apparently the filmmakers very much appreciated the German version. Cause this is set in Berlin. Mm. It has Liam Neeson as a financial guy. Yes. <laughs> who, Speds most of the movie in his he, car, talking on a cell phone or yelling at his kids. I'm gonna um, say he engages in capitalism, perhaps. He does, yes. Um, perhaps vulture type capitalism. Who knows? There's something shady going on because somebody wants to blow him up in his car. And that's that's the whole premise. And it's it's kind of a neat premise. I mean, it's obviously it's familiar. A fun a schlocky needy. premise, yeah. It it yeah. definitely has promise. For what I expected to be a more fun movie. Yeah, it is not fun, unfortunately. It is a lot of Liam Neeson sitting in the car looking very concerned and worried and angry. And he does he does a fine job. I do appreciate the fact that Liam Neeson gets to, now that he's kind of trying to transition out of this action hero, action star thing. Although he's still stuck in it, obviously, because yeah, this like, feels like that. Let me sit down. In one of these, put me in the car. Sit. Please let me just sit for a couple hours. Um, he he punches he punches in the very beginning, so you know he could fight if it comes up. Yes, and, and then I guess the question is, is it going to come up? It doesn't. I'll just say that much. It doesn't come yeah. up. It is a lot of sitting and a lot of driving and a lot of talking. It should be at least you know full of tension because there is a bomb there. This is the epitome of that Hitchcock quote that you know a bomb exploding. Under a, t- a bomb under a table exploding is surprise. A- knowing that a bomb is under the table and waiting for it to explode is suspense. Yes, that's that's the whole premise. Of this. So you Everybody expect knows. the baked in premise here to have suspense, to have tension, but it just just the flattest, most boring execution possible, right? Yeah, a lot of talking, a lot of driving, a lot of going literally in circles. The, yes. Just driving around Berlin in circles because he's trying to figure out what do I need to do? How can I delay all of this? Maybe getting lost? I don't know if he doesn't exactly know the city that well. It's hard to tell. It's strange having it set in Berlin and having Liam Neeson with a slightly Irish bro going and Matthew Modine and yeah. Beth Davids is also yes. she plays the wife. She's in it. Miss um, Honey from uh, Matilda. Or Sheila from Army of Darkness. I'm sure she has better credits. Those are the two that I know. There are surprisingly very few German people in Germany in this yes. movie. It's very strange. Oh, and yet so, they they use the setting to make a pretty dark Holocaust joke at one point. Do you remember this? It's kind of no. offhanded. There's a part where somebody says, you know, thankfully we're in Germany and in Germany the trains run on time. So, you know, <laughs> a little bold little you know a, a casual moment but I, I i noted it anyway yeah <laughs> there's there's not much to this movie man i was really expecting more i love movies like this like there's like a whole i would say subgenre that consists of what i would say cellular and phone booth you put this in the, a triptych with that with that with those movies like 
it, I should love it because those movies work for me. But those movies have what this movie doesn't, which is like suspense and tension and filmmaking that rings those things out. And there's just nothing to this movie. It the drama that they bring in with like the family and like maybe there's trouble in their marriage and how that comes to play in the car and it just it all doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel pitched right because like there's all these explosions and stuff and the kids seem like fine with it, but then like they learn about what's going on with their parents and they start freaking out. It just didn't it didn't feel believable to me, like in the big ways and small ways. Uh very unsatisfying the action is just like cars exploding like there's no satisfying uh chases that are exciting or fights that are exciting there's just really annoying flat bad expository dialogue about yeah well on the dark web you can do anything and you will even install it for you <laughs> it's like what are you talking about like what is this um i it had to i feel like I felt that it was like this must have sat on a shelf for a while or something, but I feel like that only comes through because Jack Champion has been in like things since then playing what I feel like are older characters than he's playing here. So it feels weird to see like him slumming it to be like a high schooler in the backseat. But I looked it up and he's like 18. So it's like completely reasonable for him to be a teenager in the backseat. Um, and yet I didn't find the performance very good at all, but you know, I wish it were a good enough movie so I could say something like, you know, the kids in the back seat are clearly representing how he puts family second to his job. His family takes a back seat to his job, which it has like the classic, the my go-to example, because I grew up watching this movie, is like, you know, it was a trope in the 90s where the dad is just overworked and doesn't see his family and some, something's going to change that. Um, my example was Jingle All the Way, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but yeah, it just is that type of type. It's very archetypal, very tropey. It's it's not a good movie. I was severely disappointed, and I love a good Nissan actioner. Right? I'm sure you agree. Like the Jean Collette Seurat ones. Like there's some good ones out there. Um, Nonstop is top tier. Yeah, 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 that's so good. Yeah, and there are other ones that that same guy did. Run All Night is good, I think. I remember that being good. There's a handful of them that are like hard R and fun. And I don't even know if this was hard R or PG-13. I'm assuming PG-13. I think it's PG-13. Because it was it so uneventful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's just nothing to it. You've seen the premise before. Like I said, cellular. I said phone booth. It's also got like that sp- obviously speed or crank element to it. So it just is like an amalgam of other things. So it's funny that it's based on a foreign film that's already a foreign film, you know, that's four, four foreign films long or whatever. Uh, a Russian doll of foreign films inspired this because that, that uh, the original foreign film that this was based on was clearly inspired by all those things that I mentioned. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you feel like you're watching a copy of a copy. Uh, I feel like I spent way too much time talking about this movie, but it wasn't good. Uh, are you giving it a very generous one and a half? Yeah, generous one and a half. There's I again. I, the premise is interesting. Neeson is fine. There's a random scene involving a cop, um, played by I, I have to say her name because she's very good in this. Numa Dumazweni. She's really good in this very small performance as this cop who's trying to negotiate, you know, figuring out how to get them out of the car and also suspecting because this is the whole premise. And Neeson's character has rigged the bomb himself 
somehow and also killed a bunch of other people using bombs. She's really good in this one isolated scene that yeah. has some tension and actually has some interchange that you can see. I think a big problem with this is because everything's on the phone and that voice has no personality to it. And that voice is just giving directions. It's not suspenseful at all. But that scene between the two of them is pretty good. And it comes out of nowhere. And then the whole movie just does resort to a bunch of chases and a little bit of action. And that is not the way that this feels like it should clear up. But that is how they decided to clear this up with just a bunch of chases that are destructive and don't really go anywhere. Just yeah. until you get the big reveal at the end. It's not Yeah, and it's all predictable, like, oh, of course they think Liam Neeson's the problem, but it's a guy on the phone. And it's like a tension that we as the audience are aware of. So it's not that fun to watch him, you know, the police be behind us and think that he's doing it or whatever. It's just stuff you've seen so many goddamn times. Yeah. I'm gonna be a little meaner just because I found like there's nothing redeeming here, and I usually find something to like about a Liam Neeson. Um, this is like on par with, did you want, I'm sure you did blacklight. That was a bad one. Yeah. I don't remember it, but exactly. yes, I watched it. <laughs> it was like another one star, completely forgettable. This will play on TNT a million times type of movie. And like TNT deserves better. You know, this shit's boring. Um, one star for me for retribution. Okay. Um, I get it entirely. Put on your seatbelts. You're going to be taken. That's what the movie's like. Basically that for 90 minutes or something. All right, let's get to the next movie. Netflix's, you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah, starring the Sandler family. My bat mitzvah determines the rest of my life. If I have a kick-ass party, doors would open. And I just think Dua Lipa would make the party perfect. You can have a ball pit. That's for kids. I've had my period for seven months now. That's a long period, sweetheart. La 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 la. I'm not popular. What is happening? You look insane. Slave queen. I'm not a loser. I look like the lady that pulls kids out of class when their parents get into car accidents. How often does that happen? I might be a little obsessed. One day, Andy Goldfarb will be mine, and you will have a cool boyfriend too, and then we'll have a joining loss in Tribeca in Taylor Swift's building. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Can you just let me explain, please? No, let me explain to you. We are no longer friends. Yo, shit just got real. I am surprised by how much this movie works. I think we all were expecting, you know, Nepo baby Adam Sandler vehicle. Just a thing for his daughters to be in. You didn't expect it to have a heart or to be very sweet or to have way more on its mind than like a goofy, silly Adam Sandler type comedy. It is definitely more in the vein of something like a Judy Bloom book or like a movie we saw a few months ago called Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is now available to stream on one of the streaming services and for rental. Um, but I feel like had that movie not just come out, this movie would be even more revelatory for being like this culturally specific movie that centers a young girl and her journey to, you know, coming of age journey that is involving god <laughs> like she does have it has the same structure as are you there god it's me margaret which feels very intentional and the timing just happens to be what it is but i think it's it totally works and it's totally different because the cultural specificity part of it is now tied to judaism and i am a jewish person uh and i found all the very culturally specific jewish humor especially sarah sherman from snl as a hebrew teacher slash rabbi which is so such beautiful inspired casting. 
Um, I found it to be surprisingly delightful, and you may even get a tear in your eye if you're like wrapped up in the emotion of it because I feel like it really sticks to landing too. I thought this was kind of great. I was really, really shocked too, and I didn't realize it was a Sandler family vehicle until maybe the ending. I oh just, really? I thought okay. Yeah, I just uh, suddenly. I mean, like maybe at some point, I, I something in the back of my head was like, oh wait. Well, you know, the, the, da- the daughter obviously is, you know, Adam Sandler's daughter. I didn't realize like the older daughter and also a divorced mother is also his wife in this. It's like, so... The whole the whole family is there. It's just it's... it's nice. It's very nice to see that. It definitely you could. I feel like people could be critical and say, yeah, a- Adam Sandler home movies. And like, I want I understand that impulse to like mm-hmm. say that. But th- give the movie a chance because it's actually. It, it, I mean, sure, it is that technically it feels like that, maybe, but it's actually a good movie that just happens to feature the Adam Sandler family in it. And on top of that, I just want to say it's funny to me that his wife has always had bit parts in his movies and she does here as well. But like in this movie, he's playing the dad to his own daughters, but they still got a Dina Menzel to be his <laughs> wife, which as, kind of makes it an Uncut Gems prequel, potentially. <laughs> yes, which is hilarious in its own yeah. way. And I love that. Uh, it's just so funny. I feel like they're like tacitly acknowledging that like we need someone better than my wife for this role, which is so fucked up. I just felt bad for her. But like for all I know, she just wants to be do those bit parts and doesn't want to be yeah you know, that role or whatever. And Adina Menzel is great, and Jackie Sandler is is good in her part too. And yeah, yeah, everyone gets a chance to shine in this movie. Yeah, I was I was very surprised by all of that, and I've been critical of. Sandler have basically making movies just to have his friends around and go yeah, on vacations well, with them. Yeah, that's what the Netflix era really felt yeah. like. Yeah, even before that, all the grown ups yeah. movies grown ups. basically yes. that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, wait, they only made two grown ups movies, didn't they? It feels like it feels it like feels they made like more, there's. A I think trilogy, I don't yeah. think I don't think they did. Oh boy, no. So I Not would have yet. if this if this had been like just oh Adam Sandler got his family a bunch of movie roles. I'd be like, yeah, that's that's what it is. No, the whole family is very good here, especially the lead. Is she's so good? Sadie Sandler is really good in the. Oh, no, Sonny, Sonny Sandler. Yeah, Sonny, Sonny Sandler, who apparently Sorry. has been yeah. in you know several of his movies uh, as a child. But I, yeah, you know, this is her first time really starring in one, and she's genuinely very good. Yeah, it's a tough role too. It's about being self-centered and learning that you are self-centered and to the degree that you are self-centered and trying to re- take some responsibility. You know, becoming an adult. Who's about to have her butt? It's fun. Go yeah. through that whole process. And it delves into that too. It delves into that relationship of, you know, with faith and religion and how that plays into it and what that guiding principle is. I, I appreciated the fact that it's bringing all of that in and making this very universal story about what it's like to be a kid growing up and not realizing what it is. And I also like that all of the adults here have that same feeling too. So Sandler's character is really good he's really endearing he's this dad who just sits around the house and doesn't know what to do but he tries his best terrific Um, meta bit with him having him dressing the way he does and acknowledging that he's very he he dresses comfortably he's basically doing the meme of adam sandler that we've all seen because he only wears basketball shorts in public and like he wears to a party in this like it's that's right I, he says it he yeah. literally says it like first i want to be comfortable I'm gonna yeah be here. so that's very much like a if you're an adam sandler fan you'll appreciate this type of shit and like i am an adam sandler fan and i thought this yeah it was very endearing the way it all goes down 
but all of the adults here are embarrassing to some degree. Like Sarah Sherman, I, I love her on SNL. She's really funny here. Um, the Cantor, who she's, you know, Cantor kind of, Jerry. Yeah. They have this thing. They're both kind of embarrassing and they're trying to be, you know, hip and cool to all the kids. But it's like, that's, that's just how it is. All these characters are just trying to figure out their way in some way. DJ Shmuley. That feels like a character Great Sandler bet. would have played like in the nineties or the early two thousands. I know. And, he's just, and it's so, it's so cool that you just have him as a bit part. And it feels like this passing on of the torch. Like Sandler's like, this is not about me. This is not about my goofiness. There's going to be some of that, but this is really just going to be yeah. a sincere story about a girl coming of age and all of that that entails. It's really nice. You'd expect that part to be at least like a Rob Schneider or a Alan Covert. And it's just some guy. It's yeah. like, it's really, I was Who's shocked very by funny. that too. Again. You're right. It, he's, it's very funny. It's a great bit. But you're right. It totally like is distancing itself from like Happy Madison Productions, which I, I'm I'm assuming this is one, but maybe it is. It is, yeah. Okay, yep. yeah, it was. I forgot that that happened at the beginning. Um, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. As I said, it all, it's endearing, sweet, charming, very funny, lots of mm-hmm. good jokes, surprisingly uh, cogent and like fucked up about modern teen issues like social media and cyberbullying. Like, very bleak depiction of Gen Z, I would say, but, like, probably accurate. Uh, I enjoyed that the other Sandler sisters always watching horror movies on her phone <laughs> at a, at the parties, which is such a hashtag horror lifestyle, new flesh podcast listening thing to do. We love that. Uh, definitely was speaking my language. I didn't expect to, you know, this is a movie that I normally would have skipped because it's a Netflix movie. It's an Adam Sandler Netflix movie. And I'm delighted I made time for it. And I think everyone should watch it. I think it's really uh, could be a classic coming of age movie for girls of a certain age and, you know, Jewish girls or whatever. I, I really appreciated the big stuff, like, you know, the ending and what happens with the, with the friendship and how it's about being selfless and putting others before yourself and shit like that. And it's very important lessons, I feel like. And, I like it was yeah. about the friendship. Yes, specifically. And not there's like a romance angle to it, but it's not about that. It's like yes. it is about how these two girls are, you know, so close and then fall apart and then try to find a way to get back together if that's what's going to happen. It's I like that it's not just about like, oh, we like the boy and what's the boy going to be? All those 80s yeah. rom-coms. It's like a, some sort of romance has to be involved and this is not that movie which is nice too and they do mind some great comedy out of like her liking that guy like the way she talks different around him and talks like him like it's all very well done uh very strong three out of four for uh you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah on netflix now yep same here three stars for me too a lot of fun all right now we got to start disagreeing let's talk about Golda, starring Helen Mirren. Today, the Egyptian and Syrian armies launched an offensive against Israel. Our enemies hope to surprise the citizens of Israel on Yom Kippur. Our troops are outnumbered seven to one. If the Arabs reach Tel Aviv, Israel will be wiped off the map. In my day, they stood for the Prime Minister. Secretary Kissinger is on the line. Remember that I am first an American, second I am Secretary of State, and third, I am a Jew. You forget that in Israel we read from right to left. That line was so good in the movie, I almost wanted to be like, is this movie good? 
I'm I'm treating it wrong, but I still ended up thinking it wasn't very good. Uh, I'll let you lead because you liked it a little more. Uh, tell me about Golda. I did. It is one of those semi-biographical movies that just takes a chapter out of a you know famous important person uh, person's life and just puts that up there and tells you something about that person from here. And in this case, it is Golda Meir, the first and only until this point prime minister of Israel. Um, and what, how she handled the Yom Kippur war. Um, it's, I found it fascinating. I mean, I get a lot of, there's, I mean, I think we'll probably get into it. There's a lot of interesting choices here in terms of casting Helen Mirren, uh, and some of the makeup that is applied oh, yeah. to her to make her look more like Golden sure. Meir. I think we could maybe get into that a bit at some point if you feel strongly to me, about it. That's just and, typical, like part and parcel of like awards bait biopic thing like it does i i think it's stupid and dumb and i think it doesn't i think it's stupid and dumb here but it's not like it was like i'm offended or anything I yeah i think it I takes it yeah yeah i think i think it treats gold in my ear seriously enough that it doesn't feel like a caricature of any kind which is nice yes. um so yeah i okay then we we'll have, have a repeat of this it. conversation for maestro in a few months uh, yeah on Netflix yeah or whatever so I I just found it a very fascinating and compelling study of leadership under pressure, under the worst kind of pressure you could imagine for a leader of a country who has two countries come in and start attacking soldiers without warning, and they're it's unexpected. Um, it's I just found it fascinating. I think Mirren is great here. There's a lot of this dynamic between her needing to come to the defense of Israel, but also realizing the toll that is going to cost to actually, you know, set up a huge defense for the country. And can she do that? Is it worth the cost of it? And judging that and balancing that and having her advisors tell her differing things and having the entire international community having separate opinions about it. Some of them obviously are, you know, against Israel defending themselves. And some of them are trying to be neutral about it, like the United States, the whole Kissinger thing with Liev Schreiber doing a pretty good job playing Kissinger. Yeah, I enjoyed that. There's a lot of politics here I don't want to get into. Well, that's that's <laughs> but part I, of I just, the problem, I think, for me, is I found it to be, as someone who's like not overly familiar with this era or whatever, like just to be like a kind of like war logistics with no context, a barrage of historical figures, names on screen, just like, okay, I'm supposed to keep track of who the fuck these minuscule figures that, you know, aren't really going to factor in. It just feels like it's a barrage of stuff at first. And it's hard to get a grasp on for any context. And then you realize it's doing like a Oppenheimer type of like structure and form. And I was all with that. But it just ends up being a, you know, yeah, bureaucracy of war movie, conversations in smoke filled rooms. And I just found it to be provided gold. by Goldemeyer primarily. Yeah, provided smoke filled because Goldemeyer is sm- chain smoking the entire time. Uh, which, you know, good performance. Enjoyed that. Enjoyed her. I just, it never grabbed me in a way that a movie like this should. It just, it felt like, it just felt so Oscar bait biopic to me. Like it felt like they took Darkest Hour and were like, all right, let's do this. But about, gold in my ear it just felt like so stock to me and it never broke out of that even though it had like a couple inspired moments especially when Liv Schreiber shows up by the time Liv Schreiber shows up it's like there's what 20 minutes left or something I feel like it's the movie's not long enough to get all the information you need to have in it in there 
or it's not, I don't know. It like tries to have these little subplots where it goes off and tells you a little more, uh, but then it kind of goes off and it's really just about her and it's more interior. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just felt like I've, as you said, it's one of one of those type of movies where famous person at this one specific point in their life. And it just, I, I like, you know, it reeks of that. I felt like I was watching that movie. I never wasn't aware that I was watching that manufactured trying to get an Oscar uh, type of movie. You know what I mean? I, I felt a little bit more. <laughs> I don't know. I felt a bit more about it because I, I understood where those characters are. And yeah, it was hard to juggle some of those characters, but I think they're all pretty clear cut who they are and what they are from the text at the beginning. They all have a distinct look. Like, I mean, you have a general with an eye patch, you know exactly who he is. And to have that character specifically witness what he witnesses and then vomit and start panicking is kind of terrifying when you think about it, because you know what this guy has seen and gone through. And suddenly this, just the overwhelming nature of this attack is like he cannot figure out what to do and it's up to gold in my ear to try to play between that panic that sense of panic that she has and being an actual leader i appreciated the study of that i don't know i don't know what else i mean that, yeah, that's I fine it, i guess that i i, I want to be there but like when the movie ends up cutting to like real archival footage and that stuff was so much more compelling than what was in the movie. I was like, I agree. Like, I was just fully landed on like this movie didn't work for me because I found, you know, the real prime minister footage was so energetic and interesting. And the movie was so fucking boring. <laughs> it was lifeless. Um, yeah. I don't know. I found it to be, I, I'll just be repeating myself. Cause I don't, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. It is admittedly, I'll say this. This is not my genre. I hate this genre. I don't. I can't think of the last. Well, I guess Oppenheimer is one. <laughs> yeah, Oppenheimer yeah. is kind of a. But like Oppenheimer is, you know, exception that proves the rule, right? Like that one is magnificent and does not adhere to the f- formula that they usually do. Um, and I think this movie does try to do different stuff by using that same kind of structure that Oppenheimer does. Um, but yeah, it just didn't work for me, and that's okay. We don't need to harp on it. Don't think the the makeup is what did it in for me i just think that was an oh i didn't i, didn't, yeah. I wouldn't suggest that i just was wondering yeah if it did no yeah it's definitely the conversation it's i think it's worth it's worth talking about to some degree but it, i'm glad we don't have to because yeah 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 just not there's a movie here too there's a movie if you like joe writes the darkest hour you'll like this i guess because it's the same thing but it's Golden yeah, I got like I liked it better than Darkest Hour. I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of that. And yet that one got all the Oscar I know, look at accolades, that. and this one will get nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting how that all Interesting, shakes out. Indeed. Um I guess I'm like two stars on Golda. Okay. I'm I'm three stars on it. Appreciated the performance, appreciated just what it's trying to do to tell you this is what it's like to be a leader. And uh yeah. Yeah, you know, leader in tough situation movies. I'm all for it. It was a little too understated for me or something. It just, yeah, didn't work. But let's talk about something that did. Here's a movie out this week called The Dive. It's pretty steep. That's all right. I still get a bit nervous every time. Nervous is good. Excitement's a good thing. (laughs) 
Hey. What's wrong? Do you hear this? within 20 minutes. Just stay calm. The calmer you are, the less air you use. Now, if biopics are a genre I inherently dislike, survival thrillers are one that I really love. And I don't know if it's just I like them all, so this one worked for me. But I thought this was a good example of one where it's got a situation that you can put yourself in as the viewer and go, holy shit, I do not want to be there. This is terrifying. And the characters have to go through insane obstacles that you wouldn't want to go through. And it feels all believable, you know, and it has arguably too much backstory and flashback. But I feel like it all it's one of those things where these movies are always about they're a survival thriller, but they're really about reconciling with your sister or something. And like, that's what this one is. And I feel like it's a good example of one. But I feel like I'm in talking about it. I'm realizing how familiar it is also we've covered a few movies like this uh talk about it yeah we covered fall we covered love uh, quicksand yeah fall is yes so good fall is terrifying though (laughs) falls like Um, my favorite example of like a good survival thriller that really works that makes you feel it even though they you know they were they were high up but they make it look way more high yeah and 47 meters down is another good example because trapped in a cage underwater with sharks you're with shark your your breath is running out which is one thing and there are sharks so that's another one uh yeah i've inherently powerful as a cinema uh, a work of a cinema to me and this one what, is another example yeah and what i want to touch upon there is the part where you said it's believable this one was completely believable to me because it is all about there's no sharks there's no villain running around trying to do anything like that there's none of that stuff it is seriously just two actors one of them you know one character is trapped under a rock about like 100 feet down the other sister is trying to figure out how to get her sister who's trapped enough oxygen to survive and also try to figure out a way to lift up the rock and get help when there's a lot of stuff going on because of that rock slide everything logically makes sense and all of the actions that she takes logically makes sense it all flows out of this one particular problem and trying to solve it and it doesn't try to add anything onto it it just says this these are the stakes this is the equipment that she has this is the equipment she doesn't have these are the resources she could get if she takes a risk is she going to take that risk is it worth it all of that happens kind of in real time ish and it plays really well um it helps that the performances are good it kind of helps that the sister who's trapped has a little bit of a story to go through. She has, she's coming to terms with some things in her past that I don't think are fully explained, but you get at least the emotional core of them. So that's, that's good that there is something for the other character to do. And it's not just a lot of running around. Although I like the running around because, you know, I, well, I like, how would you, how would you react to that? Like, exactly. If- it's frenzied running around. And as I say, as I described early on, when we talked about this movie, 
it's all about can you, the viewer, see yourself in that situation? Can you put yourself in their shoes and go, what would I do here? And does it pass the smell test of like, well, that's totally makes sense. I would do that. And this movie is full of moments like that. It is yep. just you're just putting yourself in her shoes. OK, sister's underwater. Leg is under a giant rock. I'm too small to move the rock. There's no one around here. There's no time. There's the time and the time she's she yeah. has a she has oxygen tank that is timed to whatever 20 minutes yeah and she has to get it down there and then it's just there's like it's also it's almost uh like not a, it's almost like old computer gamey the way that like it's mission oriented <laughs> yeah it was like go up and get x and then it's like okay and then x that happens and then, okay now there's a new mission you have to go do this and it really works in that way and the way that it works in the backstory that involves maybe some childhood abuse or trauma, like it seems like it would be heavy handed, but it totally works because I think the movie is just working already on that base level of this is a terrifying situation. So you as the viewer are like in a headspace that you're willing to like go with that. And I totally was uh, watching her adapt to the situation just constantly. Ex- I was yeah, constantly just excited and ready to see what she did. Uh, I will say I think it would play really great in a theater if you happen to be near one. It was one of those movies where it hurt watching it on a screener site where it's really a movie that takes place underwater in the darkness and it's on a compressed website in 720p (laughs) or something like that. So like there's a part where a character was like, I can't see anything. And I'm like, same girl. I hear you. It's tough. But uh, even with that being said, like you can still get the grasp of the situation and it felt like they you know, emulated being stuck underwater very well. It was very uh, co- compellingly done. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add. It's just a really well-made thriller about a situation that you could see happening and you could see yourself making all those mistakes for the same reason. Well, yeah. And not, I, I appreciated some of the things that she did. There's like um, something with the car the car, the trunk, she needs oh to get God. into the trunk of the yeah. car, and I was not thinking that is a way to do it to solve that problem, but hey, she does like, Oh, hey, <laughs> that's, that's actually pretty smart. I mean, yeah. it's unfortunate in the long run, potentially, but hey, it gets the job done. I liked those little touches, too. And um, the extra added tension of, like, hey, you have to calm down and use less yeah. air, but the mo- it's the most freak-out, terrifying situation imaginable, but you have to be calm or it's going to be worse. So there's just so much tension in it that yeah. I was totally on board. Very solid survival thriller, if fam- not from you know, if familiar, but it's good. Uh, so I'm a three I'm solid three for the dive. Cool, me too. Definitely worth checking out. Right on, moving right along. Another indie. I saw this at Sundance. I watched it again just before we podcasted, and I liked it even more this time. Uh, Fremont. Here's the trailer. Tell me about the situation in Afghanistan before you left to come here. I don't spend much time thinking. Why? Too busy with my social life. Thank you. Important messages. They shouldn't be too lucky. They shouldn't be too unlucky. Some pursue happiness you created. I'm 
I'm not meeting anybody. You don't need anybody. You need someone special. I admire people like you who have stories to tell of courage, displacement. Guess which immigrant hero I love the most? White Fang. One of the better White Fang running bits I've ever seen in a movie. Very funny. Uh, yes, that was Greg Turkington, a.k.a. Neil Hamburger, a.k.a. one of the hosts of On Cinema at the Cinema, one of my favorite shows. Um, he has a substantial part in this movie, Fremont. Tell me what this movie is. It is the story. It's a story. I mean, we're seeing a lot of um, a translator in Afghanistan who served with the U.S. military and helped out there who now finds herself in the United States on a visa and she is working at a fortune cookie factory and just trying to get by in life. She lives in Fremont, California, but she commutes to San Francisco because she says I'm every day I'm surrounded in this apartment complex by people from Afghanistan, just like me. And I want something a little bit different. So she goes to Chinatown in San Francisco to work at a fortune cookie factory. There are all these little details in this movie. You don't get a full sense of what happened to her and what might have happened to her family or what could happen to her family until later because she's a very quiet, very reserved. She keeps all this to herself for you know reasons I think that are pretty obvious because it's a yeah. terrible situation she was in and it's a terrible situation now. And she's trying to keep that at bay. It's all this little tiny stuff of what characters say and what they don't say and what they mean when they say one thing, but don't say the other thing. It's all this like dancing around these well, characters just talking to each other and trying and kind of getting to the heart of what they, who they are and what they want and what they need, but never quite communicating it because I mean, it's scary to do that. It's terrifying to say, this is who I am and this is what I want. And you have all these different characters doing that. And it's so lovely and so warm to watch all these characters start to open up just a little bit, just a little bit opening up throughout the course of the movie because it feels authentic and it feels honest and it feels so sweet and so accurate. And I just really, really enjoyed watching these characters and learning more about them and seeing the depth that they have and that they're hiding for a bunch of reasons. Um, yeah, that's what that's, that's I think yeah. the best place to start. Well, you actually nailed, I think why it took me a second viewing to really clue in to like its wavelength because it is just like putting its heart out there right it's just kind of like saying people say what they feel and like that's what the movie's about you know what i mean it's like one of those movies but i found it so sweet and so touching and it's a movie where everyone in the movie is like an empathetic character there's no like bad people in it like you think maybe greg turkington is going to be this like annoying guy but even the relationship they have is like really sweet and nice and helpful uh yeah i found this completely endearing and it has like a, you know, Jim Jarmusch, Hal Hartley movie quality to it that I felt was like a nice throwback to like the indies we used to get versus the ones we get now that I don't like as much. Uh, you're right. The unique setting of uh, she works in a fortune cookie factory and they filmed in a real co- fortune cookie factory. Like the director like had that in his neighborhood and was like, this is so weird. Let's like, what is this? And um, yeah, such such interesting themes in this movie. Like. How do people feel safe in a world that's changing so rapidly and just constantly worrying, like, how can I worry about my love life when my family is suffering in another part of the world and there's conflict and just like internalizing everything and how 
anxious people think like as a, if you've ever been to therapy i feel like you will enjoy this movie it is a movie about an anxious person um who you know she can't sleep because she has like basically undiagnosed ptsd and so she'll listen to him rant about white fang so she can get her fucking pills to go to sleep which is so relatable if you've ever had to try to get pills from a therapist and you have to go to the psychiatrist and you have to do the talk therapy along with it it's just this whole labyrinthian of bullshit but the movie's not even about that it could be it could be a commentary about all these things but it's not it's just this character study of this uh woman and who is so sheltered off and lonely and just like, like yearning for contact but doesn't know how god i just got goosebumps thinking about her putting the the note she ends up putting in the fortune cookie like it's so understated and small and maybe a lot of people will i feel like a lot of people are including myself the first time i saw it are going to underrate it and think it's just like it didn't help that i saw it in sundance among like 30 other movies just like it or very similar in terms of indie style or whatever but like it really stands out from that pack especially in after a revisit as just like as you said a nice movie of someone struggling to like give themselves permission to exist in the world and be happy. And I, unfortunately, I think, you know, unfortunately I related to this movie <laughs> as an anxious person who has been to therapy and stuff like that. And I love that, you know, I can relate to this movie about a female Afghan interpreter because it's so universal, the shit she's experiencing. And I think it really has a great um, third act uh with someone you may know from the bear uh and television jeremy allen's white uh jeremy allen white from television shows up in this movie and has a really great scene uh yeah i'm shocked at how much more i like this the second time which is yeah but it makes sense i really do i really do think it makes sense yeah i'm glad you did because after i saw it and really just was enraptured by all these characters and this that feeling that you're right everybody here is decent and worthy of empathy even like the one villain turns out to have and she's not even a villain but she turns out to have done something really good even if it's by accident yeah um but i I saw you had it like slightly lower than i was anticipating and i'm like "Uh oh did i miss something or is something going on so no yeah because i wonder i wonder if i might rate it higher if i rewatched it too because and i quite liked it yeah i'm I went up quite quite a bit. I'm like teetering between three and three and a half here even, but I'll go with a very strong three. I haven't seen any of this guy's uh, other work, but I'm going to seek it out and I can't wait to see uh, what he does next. Strong, strong movie. It's so important to revisit stuff from Sundance, I feel like. like it's just like a blur. Like uh, You watch that movie on the day where you watch seven other movies and it just didn't click or was a little too understated and too soft-spoken. But like it really spoke to me today when I watched it. Like every scene, I was like, "Wow, this is." Every scene's got something. The scene where she cries at the woman singing that song. Oh fuck! Yeah, it's so good. It's a great movie. Uh, I'm moving it up three and a half. Three and a half. Cool. Three and oh sweet. Three okay. and a half for Fremont. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what happens when I eventually rewatch it if I do. Because yeah. yeah, I'm I'm borderline, but I'm going very strong three, and I'm just gonna stick it right there for now, and then we'll leave it there. Yeah. yeah, we've got an in real time change. You love to see it. Uh, let's talk about Scrapper. Ali! George? You playing out? Uh, hi, that's my bike. Why would 
were just making sure that all of these bikes were road safe. Oh, yours isn't, by the way. What stage of grief are you at now? I think I'm almost finished. I feel sorry for her. She'll make it through. Lovely, though, that she's living with her uncle. Could you do me one favour? Georgie's doing great at school, thanks. Emotionally coping. We are eating spaghetti bolognese today. Well, I for one feel reassured. Who's Georgie? Who's asking? I'm Jason. I'm your dad. Can't stay for long. I'll stay as long as I want. What if he's a big time gangster? Maybe he was in prison. So hear me out on this one, yeah? You get a little look of the directorial flair uh, in this movie, in this trailer. Tell me what this movie is about and what it's like. It is the story of a young girl named Georgie. I believe she's 12. Yeah, she's young. Um, And her mother has died and she has been living for a few months on her own, but pretending to social services that she has an uncle living with her and taking care of her. She definitely does not. So she's on her own. She's cleaning up the house, making sure everything looks exactly like it did when that her mother would leave it and just hanging out with her best friend. Um, And then suddenly her father shows up father who left when she was but a baby and has now come back because he's heard that her mother has died and is going to step up to the extent that he can. And for as long as he feels like he can, and that's it. That's the story. And it is also, like the last one, touching and moving. Not quite as much, but it has two really solid performances. You mentioned the directorial flares. I think there maybe are a few too many of them. There's a lot of like these cutaways to documentary type scenes where you have people in the neighborhood talking about Georgie and how she's been coping and what she could do. Feels yeah, I, I didn't love those. Bit- as didn't much. love those yeah i really There's did a, like like when the when she's doing the spider voices i like that <laughs> i yeah that felt like a kid thing that yes. felt like a, a very that specific very kid thing that would yeah. happen giving all these spiders who are crawling around the best friend doesn't want her to kill or get rid of and giving them all these backstories that yeah. felt a kid thing i'm not sure the central metaphor lands for me and i don't know if it's just because it's way too cheesy there's this hidden thing she has in a room um that uh, okay yeah that we get it we get it it's very directly on the nose she's been hiding all of her grief but here is all that grief in a very clear-cut symbol locked away in a room like yeah i get it i get it i don't need all that but i did like the dynamic between the father and the daughter and the father who hasn't quite grown up trying to figure out how to be responsible for the first time in his life and the daughter who doesn't know this guy trying to learn to trust him if she can trust him because why should she trust him? He's been gone her entire life and suddenly he's back. I appreciated all of that. And I liked all of that. And those two performances again are so good here. Um, I know that the girl, I think it's her first movie. Lola yeah. Campbell, and she's unbelievable. She's so good. Performance. She's incredible. Yeah. It's one of those like precocious child performances, which can be so annoying. And she's so delightful and charming. And you feel so bad for this girl who's dealing with, you know, her mom's death by herself and like talking about what stage of grief she's in with her little friend. And, you know, when she loses her phone and you realize it's a big deal because she has a video of her mom on it. It's just like all these little details, just so heartbreaking. And she plays it so well. 
uh, her not being aware of what the tooth fairy even is because of yeah, her. just like it's like a. It, it, I feel like you don't really often see movies about people that are like I don't know lower class or something that like allow themselves to be kind of delightful and fun and and don't just harp on the the sad stuff. And I think this movie does a great job of like there's definitely floor like you the sad stuff's there, but it's like covered under all the fun stuff you know what i mean like the movie has this like tone that it just wants to be like energetic and fun even amid all this sad stuff and i think it, it works it's like kind of a tough balance but it works um you know even you describing it made it makes it sound so familiar right like a father coming back and learning to love his daughter who he's never met like feels very you know paper moon or after sun after sun's not a father who like came back or whatever but like father daughter movies are definitely a genre and this is definitely just like a similar plot to ones you've seen but the spe- specificity of these performances and that little girl and her story I-, I think it makes this movie stand out and still worth watching even if you've seen a million movies like it uh i definitely liked it uh I, you know, watching him learn to be a parent is just as satisfying as watching her learn to have one. Like him realizing that you can't just like go pay off the girl's mom of the girl that your kid beat up. It's like there's more to parenting than that. You have to actually like parent a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was good. Three stars for me for Scrapper. Really good yeah. performances. Three stars for me too, mainly because of the performances, but also just because it does. You- have these characters growing and learning yeah. from each other and then nice it feels way. lived in it does feel like it does like these... except for except for those flourishes again it doesn't those yeah. are a bit of a distraction well, but whatever what documentary one was there for i really was like waiting i don't know through and it just didn't but i you Never know did. i just forgot about it because the movie still worked for me but uh yeah i understand that criticism for sure and you may recognize if you're wondering where do i know that fucking guy from the dad he's uh the guy, the main guy in Triangle of Sadness. And he may also be in other stuff. But that's the one thing I remember him from. Uh, so we are both... Are you, Where are you at on that? Three stars still? Yeah, three stars. Yep. Both three, moving right along. Got two more. Here is Our Father the Devil, which I found to be very frustrating because it. I want this to be good and I feel like it just doesn't deliver. And Mark, I feel like a grease, but we'll talk. Our Father of the Devil. Comment tu t'es fait ces cicatrices? Ça doit être douloureux. Ça a été, oui. Mmh. Cuisson parfaite. Nous sommes des âmes sombres. Pardon. Heureusement que nous avons ce charmant nouveau prêtre. Est-ce que tu l'as rencontré Nos imperfections font partie du plan de Dieu. Le village a été attaqué en plein milieu de la nuit. J'avais 12 ans. Mark, tell me what Our Father the Devil is about. It is a 
about a woman, a refugee from somewhere in Africa, I don't believe they ever specify anything, who has come to France and is working as the head chef at a retirement community. And a priest arrives, a new priest arrives, also potentially from Africa. And she recognizes the voice. She sort of recognizes the face. And she realizes that it very well might be the young, at the time when she was you know younger, the young warlord who had killed her family and abducted her and basically indoctrinated her into this cult, this violent religious cult. And now he is child soldier situation. Yeah, exactly. And now he's potentially here and she's trying to deal with it. And it becomes a story that's as much about guilt as it is about revenge. Although I'm not entirely sold. I think this is the big thing for me. I'm not entirely sold that it gets the balance right between the guilt and the revenge because the revenge element of this is so in your face. She basically, she abducts this priest, locks him up in a cabin out in the mountains and is trying to get information out of him. And that is so right there. And so, um, so genetic. It's so just in your face about it, that all this other stuff about her dealing with all of the things that she won't talk about that she did and that she had done to her and the guilt she feels about that. And the remorse she feels about that. It doesn't land as much as watching her, torture this guy and harshly interrogate this guy it doesn't it doesn't feel quite there and i would argue the guilt is the bigger point of this than the revenge and so it's hard to find that balance when you have something that's more internalized versus something that is so external and obvious so i think that might be the big problem with it for me but i'm wondering where you're at with it yeah it one part of it is like I don't like where it, how it resolves. I don't think it's satisfying in any way. And I think that's because of what you're describing. It's weighted the wrong... It's not weighted correctly. Like, his acts are so heinous that a revenge movie version of this would be totally justifiable, right? But the movie rather be like this pontification about, you know, is there such a thing as something too horrific to be forgiven? It, you know, it made me feel like Paul Schrader would love this movie. I feel like he's asking the same questions in Master Gardener, right? Like, he's a neo-Nazi, or he used to be. Isn't Anything can be forgiven. Love, 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 or whatever. Um, and this, I felt like, my biggest problem with it, first of all, isn't this just like Prisoners, that Denis Villeneuve movie? I feel like I've seen this kidnapping premise before, even before Prisoners, where it's just like, someone kidnaps someone for revenge, and trying to get information, but the person claims they're innocent or whatever. And like the movie here diffuses that tension too early. I think it gives away the truth of it too early. And then the rest of the movie, you're just like fucking do something about it. Like, and, and it doesn't, I didn't care for the journey she ends up going on and what the movie was trying to say about forgiveness and stuff. It was, it's, you're right. It's the balance. It's just not there. She, she was, raped and had to murder because of this guy and like her family was raped and murdered in front of her or whatever like the most horrific things that could possibly happen to a person happen to this person and this movie is saying like yeah but shouldn't you forgive them like it just didn't did you i mean is that am i wrong i i think yeah i think it kind of gets towards that but your another part is why don't you do something about it she she doesn't and it doesn't make any sense 
yeah. that she doesn't. And then the movie has this whole additional element of being a thriller where the cops are questioning where the priest is gone. Oh, she has a friend. Yeah. She has a friend who's starting to suspect, like, why isn't my best friend hanging out with me anymore? And starts to look into what's going on. So you have that through line going through. And all this stuff just feels like delaying tactics so that it can yep. get to that big theme yep. at the end. And it doesn't feel authentic and it doesn't feel. Yeah, real. it doesn't. It doesn't earn it. It does not earn what it is trying to do at all. I would have been much more satisfied if the movie decided that she could get revenge on this guy and like life would still be hard, but she might feel a little better. <laughs> it's just justifiable. I just didn't agree with. Yeah, it's a character study that didn't have dramatic tension to me. I feel like it's what it was going for. And just classic, is she no worse than he, her captor, if she's doing these things? It just felt like edgelordy or something in like trying to provoke an, a reaction. And it was just so clumsily handled that it didn't work. And I totally wanted it to work because I was. I, it's so intriguing, right? Like you want this to be a compelling movie, but it ends up just feeling like, yeah, you use like the Africa child soldier shit as a backdrop to tell a really boring kidnapping story with a lame message of forgiveness and self-acceptance when like this movie is just dealing with evil that is so fucked up that your message of forgiveness does not work for me in this movie. Uh, two stars for me on our five. Yeah. Yeah, and I can see that. And I'm, what I'm talking about, I'm like, oh, wait, what did I give this thing? Oh, I give it a two and a half. And that is because it starts off very strong. Yeah. It has a very, very strong central performance of two central performances. Those are the, the, the woman and the, and the priest. They're both really, really good at internalizing so much. And the priest, especially, he has to play, you know, seeming as if he's innocent or guilty yeah well the ambiguity gets all fucking stuff. taken away i know fast. i know yeah, i know i yeah. know i know i'm aware That's but it was good it was i would i think it was good while it was ambiguous for a bit yeah and like yeah yeah and i think the performances remain strong throughout so i was i was at least connected to the characters in that regard but not so much on a plot level or a theme level so i'm giving a generous two and a half yeah i get it i wanted it to be to be better than it was. It felt like it started strong. And then once that, like it kind of the, the, the wind, the, what do you, what's the, the wind blew out of it? The sails, the wind blew out of the, sails. Yeah, the wind blew whatever out of the, the expression yeah. is, that's what happens to it. And you're just kind of waiting for it to resolve. And you kind of, and I feel like you can kind of feel it letting itself off the hook and not going as far as you want it to. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Too forgiving. So, frustrating it was frustrating i want to talk about it more because i'm like ah there's so many mistakes but it's not worth it uh two stars for our father devil and the last movie of the week a nice feel-good british comedy uh bank of dave morning hugh a man wants to open a bank no this isn't going to amount to anything come on we're lawyers we're on the side of who's paying us he's a lawyer and he's from london but don't hold that against him you would like to open a bank the bank of Dave. Yeah, it's catchy, very catchy. And the customers were having problems making payments, so I started lending them my own money. This isn't about me making money. Every single penny of profit goes straight to local charities. We're proposing a walk-in free clinic. I really think Dave could do some good. It's about the quality of life for a whole community. This place is constantly surprising me. There may be hope for you yet. Shut up. <laughs> 
The Financial Regulation Board hasn't approved a new bank in 150 years. Once ordinary people start thinking they can get in on the act, the floodgates will open. Goodbye. This movie felt very much like another kind of cliche-filled thing with a very specific bend to it. It felt like, you ever seen the movie Local Hero? I think that's like the, the perfect example of a movie like this. Typical like corporate guy going to a small town and like his whole value system changes. Uh, it's definitely one of those, but it's got a unique story that I feel like it, I think it must be based on a true story. So tell me what this movie is about. Yeah, it is based on, as the opening says, a true-ish story. Um, this guy who lives in Burnley, this town that was once thriving in England and now um, has been suffering even before the financial crisis. This is set, though, right after the financial crisis of 2008. So everybody's suffering. And this guy loans out money from himself, from his business, his life, if it's legally allowed, to local residents to do their own businesses or pay for a funeral cost at one point, get a guitar for this guy who's a musician. All this stuff is going on and all these people are paying him back on time in full, no problems. And yet he can't do what he needs to do. So he hires a couple of lawyers who to uh, open up an official bank so he can make bigger investments and he can have all of the protections that it would have for making those investments and all this other stuff that's going on. Very, very solid premise obviously because it's real but also just because it is about this fight i mean we're still i think we're still going through the whole economic downfall of that 2000 well, crash and everything yes. else that's gone on since then it feels right in the moment because yeah you want to have the little guy stand up to the big guy and here it is this is the real life story of that happening yeah it's a movie that very much leans into like it's about class and learning about you know, how the poor are treated versus the rich and how the bank, the whole system is rigged for the rich. And, you know, the movie gets at banks causing the recession via speculating and treating the economy like a casino and getting greedier and greedier. And then they just get bailed out by the government and the people who lost their money are still screwed and the people who have money are fine. So it brings up all these issues and tries to deal with that. It's also about the value of community. Uh, like locally, which I think is really nice. It's just a really nice, idealistic, simple, feel-good movie that is like rife with cliches, but it gets the job done, I thought. But I am totally open to the fact that you gave this two and a half. So give me a little taste of that. Is it because of all the things I just said that it's like cliche? It's all bit, and, yeah. uh, no, no, not so much the cliche. I, I, there's like a courtroom sequence here that I was really, I was really uh, jolted by that. Like, oh, you know what? A good courtroom scene works. It doesn't yeah. matter what it's doing. If it's, you know, it doesn't have to be legally sound. It doesn't have to be anything. If you just get like a couple lawyers arguing and make it a good case and stand up passionately, there's just something about it that works. So I don't yeah. care that it's cliched. My big problem is I felt good because of the fight. I felt good because of going up against the bureaucracy. Yeah. I felt good about him standing up to this, you know, wrongful arrest that happens at some point and all that, the big, all that big stuff. I, that's what made me feel good. I didn't feel good about the third act where the characters don't have anything to do. Yeah. Stand around and wait for a concert. Yeah. It's so deflating. 
it just well, takes it's definitely everything leopard, out so of it's it. It's kind of cool, though, you know? I mean, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I liked it the main character. The, the lawyer is more the main character in this than Rory Kinnear's Dave, but I like the characters randomly a fan of Def Leppard. Like, wait, how old are you supposed to be in this movie? Because it's one of those things sure. that it feels like has to be true or else it would be too weird to put in there. They're like, I, yeah. yeah, he's obsessed with Def Leppard and there was a concert in the town. Like, that must have I happened. I could not. <laughs> yeah, that I could not find out i don't care so much if that actually happened or not it doesn't yeah. matter it just i it takes all the wind out of the sails in this movie there we go that's what it did for me that yeah. whole thing the whole third act is just like oh you had me you had me i was all on board with this message i was all on board with these characters you're right all on board with all this wrong. Sense of the community just oh that yeah was, that it, was it, frustrating i guess you're right it doesn't really have a feature film length of material in it like it just kind of stops and then more stuff happens yeah i kind of forgot about that but like it's just kind of a predictable cozy forgettable experience where like you'd watch this on cable and go that was a nice time like if my parents were in town i'd throw this on and everyone would have had a fair time it's not gonna offend anybody it's like the most soft three out of four recommendation you could possibly get from me (laughs) classic two and a half three review in my opinion but I totally think it works as this sparse little British comedy that, you know, has a really strong first hour and then kind of falls apart. At the end. <laughs> not that it fell apart that bad, but you're, you're not wrong. Okay, good. Yeah. Two and a half for me. So just, just a miss, but yeah. it's not, it's not bad. It's like not. You're in court and like agreeing that like their charges against them are true. And they're like, yeah, our case, we're not saying that. We agree we broke the law, but we're saying that the case should be thrown out because of malicious intent. You're being used to enforce corruption. You're like, yeah, fuck yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the first hour is good. Uh, Why don't you tell us who told you to arrest this man? Why don't you tell us the truth? Yeah. <laughs> they make jokes stuff. about the whole courtroom thing too, which I, which was really good because he's like, they, they referenced a few good men. He's like, I've never seen a few good men. You're a lawyer. How have you never seen that? Yeah. Then he gets his few good men scene. It's yeah. I guess my recommendation is it's fine, but if you're gonna watch something that is feel goody and is a little better, check out Local Hero, which I hadn't seen until a few years ago, and is a really great movie. Um, but three stars for me, two and a half from Mark. That is it for this week. That is eight movies. We've got an undisclosed number coming next week, at least three that we watched already, plus plus probably four or five more. So we'll be back with a full slate on Roger Ebert and me, ladies and gentlemen, Alien Ant Farm. The show starts in one...
Italians are. Shut up. Ush. <laughs>